You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Honey Do Me. I'm Cass. And I'm Emma. And this is and our podcast. we're excited you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those things. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Just two little comments from us. Um, yeah. Welcome to another week of Honey Do Me. We are diving into a topic today that has been long awaited with this specific guest, and we're very excited. Yeah, we're talking about toxic masculinity. Um, which I feel like has come up in episodes before. I feel like, you know, it's infiltrated so much of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about sex shame and sexual identity and just so much uh, mm-hmm. with Zachary Zane. Yes. Uh, yeah. Author of the book coming out uh, called Boy Slut. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. It's so it's funny. So good. It literally takes your breath away from like the first three sentences. So um, that's what we're hoping to do with this interview as well. He's awesome. The perfect person to talk about all this shit with. And we go into like personal examples too from our lives. So it's It's very fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Emma's had uh, some head on experience with toxic masculinity lately in like the grossest way. (laughs) Such an eventful couple of weeks, but like in a very um, like textbook definition of Mm -hmm. I pissed you off, so now you're a raging cunt. Them, not mm-hmm. me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. Fucking A. But it's um, just so interesting to get a take on that. I That reminds me. I feel like I've been... I've read two books in the last two days because I'm sick right now and I just haven't left my bed. And they are... they Not a fan, so I won't specifically talk about the titles. But I will say that one of them... I was so embarrassed to put on my Goodreads because it just looks like the silliest, like romantic book. And uh-huh. I, I found it on TikTok and I like they showed an excerpt. And I'm like, that looks kind of fun. It's like watching reality TV. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not going to benefit me in the long run, but it'll benefit me right now. Um, and it, it's just so cringy. But then I was like, no. I don't need to be like worried about being judged for liking this thing that is typically yeah. associated with being a woman. All of that kind of stuff. So... I did it um, after my I husband forced me to. I even downloaded a different reading app, and I'm like, I'll keep track of it there. Oh, my uh, God. Just <laughs> don't just put it so down. Dumb. <laughs> uh, but I can't not. I did it. It's towards my reading goal this year. Um, but yeah, so it was funny. I, I can't even remember what it's called. It's fucking called like hating the boss or something stupid like that. It was and you so loved silly. it, you're saying. I, 10 out of 10. Yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Does it relate at all to sexual shame or toxic masculinity? Or yeah, just, both of the books I okay. read, they just toxic masculinity all throughout. Just horrible well, men peppered in. Horrible. God. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, know what, at least in my opinion, doesn't have any toxic masculinity from the main character? Hmm. The show I just finished, which you'll be so excited about, Fleabag. Oh, I've seen that. I watched I, that years ago. I know. I just <laughs> finished it this last weekend because I've been alone and packing and stuff. So I finished it. And oh, my God. <laughs> What a show. What a show. It's like my mom's favorite show. It's so good. Did you like mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I. It's been a long time. It's been a I long... The lie. first season came out in 2013, I think. So yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Or 16. But it's a good one. It it's was a good one. A good one. Um, but this is... I digress. There's your media roundup. <laughs> There's your media roundup for this week. Um, and we'll let Zachary Zane do the rest. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side. Goodbye. So my name is Zachary Zane. Uh, I write the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health called Sexplain It. I also got a new column at Cosmo uh, called Navigating Non-Monogamy, where I share all the mistakes I've made in my non-monogamous journey and what I've learned from them. But most importantly, I have a book coming out on May 9th called – hold on, I have to always hold it up (laughs) – Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto. And I know we're going to be talking about this a bunch, but it's about how to overcome sexual shame. And I write it through a very bisexual, kink positive, sex positive, and polyamorous lens. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very excited to get that out in the world. It is raunchy. It is graphic. It is explicit. (laughs) It is funny. um, And hopefully it's unlike any other book you've ever read. Yes. Oh, my God. We are so excited. You're an amazing writer, by the way. Cass Thank and I you. have been I extremely captivated by what we've read thus far. Um, good, and we good. Glad to hear it. We are so excited to chat with you today. And we're sure 100% positive that sexual shame is going to totally wrap in to our topic that we want to discuss today. But we want to start with defining toxic masculinity and then going from there into a Ooh. plethora of questions. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's one of those things where it's like you know it when you see it, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I really think it's these um, harmful stereotypes that we have about masculinity that actually hurt men and women and non-binary people. Mm-hmm. I feel like often we always throw the word toxic just in front of masculinity in general, and I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I think it really has to have a negative impact on. uh, your behaviors are negatively influencing the people around you Mm -hmm. um, is how I'd kind of loosely define it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good definition. Do you think it's something that just cis het men perpetuate or is it something that all of us have a tendency to perpetuate? No, it's, I mean, gay men absolutely do it as well. And like even in the gay community, we often talk about like femphobia, which is this idea where, uh, a lot of guys will be like, oh, I, I'm not into or don't hang out with guys who are effeminate, who um, wear heels, who wear crop tops. They're like, oh, I only want a manly man. I want a real man. It's kind of the language that's used. It's like, no, those those guys are real men. They wear more, they may wear crop tops and heels, but they're still men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a way, they're certain – like we've been conditioned, a lot of us, to actually think toxic masculinity is a good thing, right? So there have been like some like very high femme uh, women that I've dated – where, you know, if a guy flirts with them at the bar, they want me to go over and beat this dude up. And if not, they're actually upset with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, that, that's not who I am. I'm not someone who's going to get into a fight just because someone spoke to you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but they, they see this possessiveness, this anger, this jealousy 
as a form of like, oh, this is what love is. When I see it as, no, this is toxic masculinity and insecurity and you believing that you own your wife or partner or girlfriend in a way that like, no, that's not at all what I want. So in that way, like women also believe in toxic masculinity and specifically some women actually seek out men who are toxically masculine. Mm -hmm. Why have we been told that that's valuable? Why, why is it that we seek that or can seek that? Oof, that is a larger question mm -hmm. that I'm not sure I, I, I'm <laughs> equipped to answer. You know, that's the million dollar question right there. Mm -hmm. It's just been ingrained in so many ways. I also think it's part of the patriarchy. I think it's a lot of ways for men to control women. Uh, you know, if you praise toxic masculinity in the way, and a lot of toxic masculinity is about possession and controlling your female partner, um, and then you make it seem like, oh, this is a good thing, mm -hmm. uh, th then it's a way for men to uh, achieve and sustain power, mm -hmm. uh, power over women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How is toxic masculinity linked to sex shame and all of these sexual experiences that we have? Um, God, I mean, in, in so many ways, but I think there's also this idea, and I kind of write about this in the book too, that like a lot of men have been left out of the sex positive movement. And you see it now, you have like magazines like Cosmo, which have completely changed since the 90s and 2000s, when they're like kind of shtick was like how to please your man. And now their whole thing is like how to be a boss ass bitch. And that's awesome. That's incredible. But it's like men are not reading Cosmo. Um, and I think there's this idea that um, like men – let me think here. Um, I think there's this idea that like men kind of know everything about sex or it's very simple to be good at sex. It's like all men are horny. All they have to do is just pound hard. They come immediately. When it's like that's not the case. And obviously, not all men are horny. Men struggle with erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, insecurity, and anxieties. But then they're afraid to talk about it. They're, they're afraid to address these issues or see a doctor or talk about it to their friends because they fear that they're not going to be masculine. Um, and, you know, these insecurities then manifest in really terrible ways in terms of treating – it's not just like they're going to be bad at sex. It's like they're going to treat their partners poorly when they feel emasculated. Mm -hmm. You know, when they feel like their masculinity is in threat – in being threatened, they're going to then attack and project and, you know, yell at women, beat women, assault women. You know, like not to go from zero to 100 so quickly, but like these are the real ramifications of toxic masculinity and um, why it needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was in um, – because your examples are reminding me of a current text thread that I had. So there was this guy um, who was a caterer at my my work, and we had, like, friendly exchange numbers. Um, I told him I had a boyfriend at the time, but he was like, yeah, no, like, you're just cool. Let's go get coffee. And then through – this was, like, last year. I just never really responded. Um, I was like, eh, like, I don't need another friend at this moment. Um Anyway, months and months go by. He texts me earlier last week and just like a slew of inappropriate comments about how he could please me sexually. So like zero to 100 and just saying how he can fulfill every fantasy I didn't know I had and like, let me show you how a man treats a woman. And so I told him, I was like, this is completely inappropriate and I like am not okay with this conversation. Don't talk to me again. And then it goes to 
have fun with your boring ass life, your fake ass friends, your douchebag boyfriend. Like it's it's the aggression response that you're explaining of, you know, like immediately coming out of like the aggressive mind or coming into the aggressive mindset when you're feeling rejected. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it really when you feel rejected, immediately going into this anger or mm -hmm. rage, and I you know I see that with just every woman who's ever has, has existed online. You right. know, it's like I get vitriol and hate for sure because I you know queer man who writes a pretty queer sex column at um, Men's Health, which is a traditionally straight magazine. Mm -hmm. So I get some straight guys writing in, but like. Literally, when I first received this, I was talking to some of my female friends. I'm like, Zach, you don't even fucking know the bullshit that we do. And the, the, the flip from being like, oh, I want to fuck you. You're so beautiful. You're so attractive. And then like you don't even respond, let's say, for 20 minutes. Fuck you, bitch. You're cunt. You're actually ugly. You're fat. You're gross. I hate you. I hope you die. I hope mm -hmm. you get – it's like what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And like even with that was just like you, you didn't even wait like 15 minutes. Like you wanted like an immediate response. Like what mm -hmm. the fuck is wrong with people? Right. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying exactly. Like when you're saying, I'm sorry for going zero to 100, but it's like that really is how it can happen um, yeah. in real life situations from unsuspecting people where you're like, whoa, that was bananas. Truly. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. We had it. We had an episode, I think we focused a little bit more on consent or it was about being mm. extra sensitive and needing somebody to take an, like extra time, all of that kind of stuff and how to like have the best sex that you possibly can as a sensitive person. We got some very angry messages calling us fucking bitches for being so controlling and like how nobody's going to want to fuck us and like all of this just in our DMs mm -hmm. from like a, a real account. It wasn't just a bot account or it wasn't just somebody like with no profile picture and no followers. Like it was a real guy and it was so scary. <laughs> it, it is scary. It really is fucking scary and so unhinged. Mm -hmm. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> Absolutely. How else does um, insecurity – and I know this is a big question. These are big questions today. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm like, I, I, was, I was expecting some softballs here. I was just going to do some fluff about my book, but I, it's in the early in the morning. I have to think. Okay, yeah. I can do this. <laughs> well, these can be more conversations because I feel like there's a lot of different ways that this can manifest. But um, gender roles in the bedroom being inf influenced by insecurity and or toxic masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think one thing I've noticed as someone who sleeps with people of like all genders, all sexes, everything is I feel like women have often been conditioned to not express what it is that they want or what feels good or they might not even know what they want versus, you know, I sleep with gay and bisexual men, so I'm not sleeping with straight men. Well, sometimes I do, <laughs> but for the most part, I'm not, I'm not sleeping with straight men. And I think we've been so accustomed to via like grinder and scruff and all these like hookup apps to literally message a thousand people a day saying exactly what we are into sexually. Like, this is my preference. I'm a bottom. I like giving head. I wear condoms or I don't wear condoms. Uh, I like it when you do X, Y, Z. We are so explicit about exactly what we like. And we send that to no less than a hundred random guys a day. And it's, you know, saved as our phrases. So we know this. So when I sleep with men, I'm like, hey, what do you want me to do? They often know exactly what they want me to do versus the number of times I've been with women and I'm like, hey, like wh what can I do? Like, oh, what you're doing is great. Keep going. It's fine. I'm like, I, I know that's not true. I know there are things that you would prefer to me 
for me to be doing, but you just don't feel comfortable expressing it. Maybe you don't know what it is that you actually like. I have noticed that this is different for queer women. When I sleep with bi women, they are more vocal about what they want. They have a sense of what they want. I've also noticed like in the kink positive place spaces and the poly spaces, uh, women tend to be more vocal and sure of what it is they want to articulate those things. And I wonder if a part of that also has to do with safety. You know, these kink spaces and poly spaces are really vetted, you know what I mean, in a way to making sure that these men are safe, that they respect boundaries, that they um, are communicative and honest about what they want and and really are there not to just fuck and come within 30 seconds and then kick the person out. Um but and also, I, I mean, so much of, you know, male sexuality is learned from porn. So, of course, there's this idea that like going as hard and fast and jackhammering to smithereens is exactly what every uh, you know vulva owner wants. When, of course, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And even if they do want to get jacked to smithereens, which plenty of women do, not immediately. Mm-hmm. That's not the first thing you fucking do. Right. Yeah, there's a lot more to do to warm up to to get to that point. Um I think there's also, I mean, so much of this is influenced by porn. And I talk about this in the book too, where it's like, I love rough sex. I love choking. I love gagging on dick. I love all the nasty shit you can think of. But like understanding that that's a specific type of sex, that everyone's not going to be into sex. And that's not the norm. You don't start by choking and slapping someone. This is a conversation that you have. You set clear boundaries. You set clear expectations. Um So it's not shaming these kinky or rough sex behaviors, but it's knowing that this should not be the standard. This should not be the norm. And I feel like for many men and for many, you know, teenagers now where like this porn is just so rough and graphic that like they think that that is the norm for sex, that that is the baseline of sex. And that's not the case. And I think that still all ties into this idea of like if I'm a man during sex, I'm being hard and aggressive and rough when it's like that's Mm -hmm. not what constitutes manhood. And that's not what everyone likes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You said the word hard, and that just made me think about how toxic masculinity would be wrapped up in like boners as well and the ability mm-hmm. to get hard. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's such a like ongoing joke where like so much of you know, you know, when like men reach a certain age and they start getting angry or midlife crisis, you know, and so they buy a Lamborghini that they, you know, they can't get hard. They can't have sex the way they used to and they feel emasculated. But that joke, I think, does come from reality. You know, I don't think that's coming out of anywhere. And I think a lot of men as they age, when, when they start, you know, your testosterone levels go down, your blood flow isn't as good as it used to be, and you're not able to get erect the same way. I think that's you know, if you don't have a healthy relationship with your masculinity, with your sexuality, I think you can turn into a real asshole. I think that is true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If your masculinity is resting on your boner. <laughs> and you don't have it. Yeah. yeah probably find some more uh, stable bases to. And, and also the irony bases. is just like, uh, especially because I write for men's health. So many of the questions I get are about like erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. That's still 70% mm. of the questions I write into the column or how to get my dick bigger. And I don't answer all of them because that's all I'd be answering. Mm-hmm. But like it's so funny with like erectile dysfunction. I'm like there are so many medications right now that if you are just comfortable talking to a doctor and figuring it out, you can resolve this issue. This is such a simple issue to fix. But yet they feel uncomfortable just going to their doctors and like addressing it. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm like, oh my God, like you, you can fix this. You can fix most penis problems at this day and age. You know what I mean? Like – and yet they don't and then get – I'm like, dude, like 
we live in 2023. We, we, we've kind of figured this out. Like, like mm-hmm. take advantage of it. There has been so much fucking medical funding into <laughs> ED. Like I'm sitting here with endometriosis and no cure whatsoever, and I'm in pain daily. But there are a million fucking cures for your ED. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's literally – it's actually quite bad how much money we've invested in this when we probably should have invested it into like other issues. But mm-hmm. like it is a huge, huge industry and like especially now with stuff being generic. So you have places like Hymns and Romans which like – Literally do it online because now it's generic. So you don't even have to go into a doctor if you have shame. You literally fill out the survey. It takes five minutes and it's delivered to your door discreetly. Mm-hmm. They have like sublinguals now. So essentially it gets absorbed super quick and it's not just Viagra or Cialis. It's a combination of various medications. So it works quicker. You're harder, longer, and fat. Like it's – again, they've invested gajillions of dollars into this. So we do have a solution and we probably should start investing into other things mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> Maybe just like a dollar here and there. Would be nice. <laughs> just like 50 cents. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Just put it in a jar Whatever and send it to me later. Yeah. <laughs> so is the root of like having all of these options and not seeking any help for yourself, is that sexual shame? Is that being – I guess it could be yeah. – both you know it's toxic masculinity it's sexual shame it's mm-hmm. all it's all related right mm-hmm. but it's this idea that um i shouldn't have to seek help right. I, I don't i don't need help this is something i should be able to do on my own this is my manhood at stake and there's this idea yeah that using viagra or something means i'm less of a man i can't do this on my own mm-hmm. so it's a combination of sexual shame it's a combination of toxic masculinity that sounds like every argument I've ever had with one of my uh, partners. I shouldn't need help, so I'm not going to get it. It's like, okay, <laughs> we'll fight Great, about it you. instead. Thank you. <laughs> so fun. Mm-hmm. Just add so much spice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe we could get more into uh, topics in your book and sexual shame. And um, I love how your – I don't know if I'm allowed to say that I've already started reading it because it's not out yet, but I'm... No, no, no. Okay. Yes, you should Amazing. Have, Yes, that's good. Okay. No, I love that. <laughs> I love that you started with um, sexual shame as a kid and talking about like the OCD tendencies of like seeing everyone naked and feeling immediate shame about being like the child pervert because I didn't have OCD, but I felt like the child pervert constantly because I was constantly thinking about sex, which led into early masturbation and feeling shame about that. So I would love to start there. <laughs> sure. So yeah, in my first chapter of the book, the first chapter, and I, I really hope you were laughing while reading this Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Uh, but it's about growing up with OCD. And like when I was like seven or eight, I'm in my therapist's office and I had like a, my parents knew something was wrong with me. So like very lucky that my parents like sought out a therapist a way that like a lot of parents were like judging her. I didn't know this until I was like interviewing her for the book. She was like, yeah, all my friends thought these were like childhood eccentricities you'll grow out of. And I was like over medicating you by putting you on medication, seeing a therapist. But like, no, I really think it saved my life. Mm-hmm. But I had OCD and I couldn't stop imagining people naked and not even in like a sexual context. You know, I'd imagine like my peers naked, uh, my parents, my gr- old people on the street and I'd feel such shame and I'd start crying. I'm talking to my therapist about this as I'm imagining him naked. And like <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. And he's like, Zach, you know, you're allowed to imagine anyone naked. There's nothing wrong with nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And once you believe that, you'll be able to stop imagining people naked. But because you think it's a bad thing, your OCD is telling you, oh, this is bad. Don't think of people naked. Now I'm thinking of people naked. And again, to clarify, it wasn't even a sexual thing. Like it yeah. really was just like, oh, this is bad. I'm a bad person. And I kind of discussed this in the beginning of the book to be like, why was I having sexual shame at like eight years old? And I actually came from a very sex positive family. I came from like a queer positive family. I have gay uncles on both sides of my family. We were not a family where like we couldn't see each other naked. You know, if we walked in on someone, like, it didn't matter. And yet it, it, the reason why I give this um, kind of background is to show how like no matter how sex positive your family is, we just soak up these sex negative messages from society, right? It is so pervasive. It is so insidious. You pick it up from culture, your teachers, your friends, your peers, media, everything. So even though I didn't have this like traumatic moment with sexual shame, I still had so much sexual shame. So it's kind of to show how universal sexual shame is. And no matter how you know great, quote unquote, your upbringing is, you exist in the world, you're going to experience it. Mm -hmm. It's something that we all need to work through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that you talked about coming from a sex positive family and still having sex shame because I think at least in a lot of the conversations we've had, it's like people have had these really intense experiences that led to sexual shame, you know, religious experience, like horrible family experiences, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of people also don't relate to that and are yeah. like, so why do I still hate my body and why am I still scared <laughs> to ask for what I want? Exactly. Like, almost like I should feel okay with it, but I'm not. So then there's like that type of guilt in there as well mm -hmm. that I think also gets into like the body positive movement of like, okay, well, why do I still hate myself then? Yeah, so absolutely. Really complicated mm -hmm. and universal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned um, – because like I read it, but like thinking about people naked or being nude isn't a bad thing. But even when you said it right there, I was like, yeah, huh? <laughs> but it's like it's a, it's immediate. And like I know we're not our first thoughts. So I know I've grown out of, you know, like thinking that being naked is bad. But it does feel dirty to think of other people in a way that like we've associated with being sexual. And then you feel like a shitty person. <laughs> One thing that um, I've heard recently, which I like, is like when you hear this voice in your head, like whose voice do you hear it in? Mm -hmm. Do you hear it in your parents' voice? Do you hear it in your pastor's voice? Do you hear it in your voice? But if you really hear it in someone else's like his voice, then it's not you. And I feel like with sexual shame, always what I try to say is like, like it's always someone trying to control you. That's what shame is. Shame is a means of control. If you feel like, oh, I can't do this. I shouldn't be doing this. Um, that's, you know, like someone trying to control you, whether it's like religious leaders, what's the men slut shaming women to try to control their behavior and to tether them to one man. Um, but I always think with shame, it's like looking at trying to get to the root of it. It's like, why it's always asking, like being like a five-year-old who's being very annoying and being like, <laughs> why is nudity bad? Uh, who's told me that it's bad and just keep asking why and why. And when you get to the root of it, you realize, okay, this actually has nothing to do with me. This is literally just larger society in, with these messages ingrained in me, but really trying to dig deep to figure out what the root of it is. So that way you can attack it and address it and, you know, and speak to it. Mm -hmm. I love asking why, and I love asking, okay, what if that is true? Mm -hmm. and just yeah. yeah. Also like that's true. It's like, okay, so I am a pervert. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I, I do it consensually. I do it safely. I communicate with my partners. I make sure everyone loves exactly what it is that we're doing. I'm not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm a pervert. <laughs> Wash uh, my hands okay. of this. Uh, what's bad about that? Yeah. Like I'm enjoying my life. They're enjoying theirs. Everyone's enjoying it. Mm-hmm. This is a fun thing for me that I'm doing safely. Okay. I'm a pervert. Fine. <laughs> exactly. Right. Fucking love it. Fucking love it. Yeah. So for people who have not yet obviously read your books, it's not out yet. What came of this and how has this like been a trajectory for your, your life and your experiences? Like how, how did shame negatively affect me? Yes. Or how did overcoming shame? I guess both. So we can start with how did shame negatively affect you? It's, you know, I, um, had a lot of shame around my sexual desires. Also being bisexual, that was something that was very confusing. And when I was trying to figure out whether I was bi 10 years ago, oh my God, longer than that. How old am I? <laughs> um, but however, however many years ago, Doesn't matter. <laughs> I remember Googling like bisexual man and there was no visibility. Like the only thing that came up were like studies about like bi men having and spreading HIV. That was mm-hmm. it. Or maybe the thing like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person. Um, and then every bi man I knew in college came out as gay shortly after. So like I, I was like, okay, even though I'm like egocentric, I'm not delusional. <laughs> I'm like I can't be the only person, only man in the world with the sexuality. But what it led for me was, you know, I hooked up with my first guy in college two weeks after getting there. I was so drunk in the middle of him blowing me, I left to vomit twice. Oh, God. I had to like reach – I had to reach that – I was so nervous. Uh-huh. And like – and he was like, are you okay? I'm like, just keep going. It's fine. It's fine. As I'm like running the bathroom to puke and go back. And the next day, I'm like, I don't think I'm bi or gay because I did not enjoy that. Well, it turns out if you get hammered and you're vomiting in the middle of getting head – It's not even as Even if you are – <laughs> yeah, even if you're gay, probably not going to be like, oh, I loved that experience. Amazing. But then I kept hooking up with guys for like five years. And every time I would get blackout for like plausible deniability. But it's like if you like doing this drunk, you probably like doing the sober as well. But I also knew how much – like I loved women. I'd been heartbroken by women. I was dating women the whole time. And I like I knew my feelings toward them were genuine. And the sex I had with them, I was loving it. So I was just very confused. But this led to – you know, the shame I had, like uh, sleepless nights, anxiety, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know what I mean? Just like getting hammered in order to do these things and living a really uh, – I was not happy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like at its core, I guess, how did it negatively affect you? I was not a happy person. Mm-hmm. I was confused. I um, couldn't sleep. I did not like myself. It's not that I didn't like myself. It was just like everything. I couldn't enjoy life. Like I'd be kissing a woman. I'm like, do I actually like this? Or am I just gay and doing this because I think I should do this? Mm. I couldn't enjoy hooking up with guys. Like I was just all over the place and scatterbrained. And like that wasn't fulfilling. That's not a happy way to live. So Mm -hmm. in that way, sexual shame impeded me from embracing who I am. And when I was living this lie and living this confused life, like – I was not happy. So that's kind of how it negatively affected me. Right. Um, I was lucky that I was never one of those people – or not lucky. Maybe that's not the right word. But just, you know, there are a lot of closeted dudes who then kind of take their anger out elsewhere on other people. That was never me. I was more of a sad, confused, lonesome, uh, confused in my room, take the <laughs> anger inward type uh-huh. of person as opposed to anger outward. But, you know, other men – I know there are a lot of studies that kind of show – this is a book called By Men, By Women 
So BI men, BY women. It's this researcher who like interviewed all these women who date bisexual men. And she was like, bi men are like better lovers. They're more egalitarian in their approach. They're more understanding. But this is with a huge caveat. It's only men who are out and have embraced their bisexuality. Mm-hmm. If you are closeted and you are lying, like that leads to ter- that leads to anger, that can lead to assault, abuse, uh, lying, cheating, all that stuff. So, like from a larger societal perspective, like coming out and embracing who you are uh, doesn't just affect you; it affects the people around you in your romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into therapy and this therapist really helped me realize I was bisexual. And I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but like essentially he he showed me that bisexuality was a valid option. Mm-hmm. And not only was it a valid option, he was like, Zach, you're, you're clearly bi- bisexual. Like is there something like I'm missing? Like it seems so <laughs> obvious like mm-hmm. to me. Like, like, And I was just like, that stuff doesn't exist in men. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Zach, you're too smart to think that was his response, which I thought was actually quite a good response. Yeah. Um, but since coming out as bi, of course, you know, we always have the It Gets Better campaign. It gets worse before it gets better. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that needs to be stated where it's like, especially if you come out in a home where you get kicked out of your house for being gay, I actually don't necessarily recommend that you come out to your family when you're in high school. I think you should wait till you're in college or wait till you have a support system. You're financially stable because you don't want to be homeless on the street. But for me, coming out was challenging because I always thought like, oh, like now women and men will both want to date me versus no women dated me because they thought I was using it as a stepping stone. They were afraid I was secretly gay and they would ghost me. They would be freaked out. And then men were just – gay men were extremely condescending. They'd be like, oh, Zach, I was I was by two. You'll get there. And I'm like, this does not make me want to date you or have sex with you. Mm-hmm. This makes me just feel like shit. Please stop talking to me. Mm-hmm. So I really struggled. Date. I was like, fuck, like I put in all this work, finally embraced who I am. The world's my oyster. And it was like, nope, turns out that's not the case. Um, But then over the years, I was able, like I moved to New York and I like both found and started creating this like bisexual community. And it has been truly life-changing. Like that word is thrown around, but like being surrounded by other bi people, being accepted and embraced for who I am, uh, not like women – Almost like bordering fetishization, which I'm fucking fine with being fetishized for being bi. That's hot. But like, you know, but like women who specifically want to date me because I'm bisexual when so many women still obviously refuse to date me since I'm bisexual. And since I've come out as bi, I've not dated a straight woman. Um, And that's not even necessarily by choice. It's like they don't want to date me. So I've only dated queer, bisexual, poly, kink positive women and it's amazing. And we have this understanding and this brace and this, and this embrace and this love of each other. But like the bisexual community is still small. It is still growing. And like, I, I'm so lucky. I live in Brooklyn, which is like the bisexual polyamorous capital of the fucking world. So I found this space, but I'm really working on creating new spaces and creating spaces that aren't just sex and kink focused. And that's been more of a challenge. Like even when I throw events, it's always sex parties, which is fun for me. I love bisexual sex parties, but for bi people who are monogamous or not kinky or not poly, there really are like very few spaces for them in a way that like I would like to create more physical spaces. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's, again, not wanting to spoil too much of your book, but there's a part where you do um, things that people have said to you and then how you've responded. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that I really enjoyed was when somebody said, well, everyone's a little bit bi. 
Um, because when I came out to my family, that was something that I had a lot of people say to me, even in my family. And I really liked your response to that. So could you talk a little bit about that? Oh my God, what was my response? Um, <laughs> no, I, I think when everyone says everyone's a little bit bi, I'm like, no, but you might be a little bit bi. I, I think that's what it is. Like if you are I do love that. Com- completely straight or gay, which mm-hmm. there are plenty, probably the majority of people are completely gay or straight. They're not saying everyone's a little bit bi. They're only saying this because they've definitely had some, you know, same sex or same gender attractions. And maybe they are so fleeting, you know, they don't necessarily want to date someone of the same sex or gender. Like they they just appreciate how beautiful they are. But again, like if you're completely straight, you're not saying, isn't everyone a little bit bi? I I, I think, right? Like <laughs> Yes. That is I agree. Yep. That's- but it's also in your case, it's also sort of a way to diminish your bisexuality. Um <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, well, this is not that. Well, everyone's bi. So like you you don't need to make it your whole deal. It's not your whole thing. And like, yeah, you are attracted to women. But like so are we. You know, we're a little attracted. But you don't have to do anything with that attraction. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it's also a way of actually diminishing your experience, Mm -hmm. which is not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a calm down. Everyone's Yeah. It really is sort of a calm down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the fear of – bisexuality why is it that like the partners you've been with have been like "Mm, you'll get there or like that's not real why why there's this i mean i i'm almost nervous recommending it because it's like a fifty thousand word dense thesis (laughs) that like why but it's called the epistemic epistemic contract of bi erasure it's about why gay and straight people are invested in keeping bi people erased and it was it came out in like early 2000s by this – I believe he's a gay researcher actually or gay lawyer. It was like – I don't even understand like, because his thesis that he was – I don't even know what it is. But there's actually a lot of reasons why like societally we're invested in bi erasure. But to answer your question more explicitly, I think a lot of it comes from fear. I think a lot of in the media what we have is this trope of a bi man – leaving his wife or girlfriend for another man and then this woman being heartbroken and devastated and embarrassed Mm. and shame and so when that is like a major kind of narrative or trope um in media you can't help believe that so i think there is this fear that like oh this man is going to leave me and i'm going to be left you know crying by myself and embarrassed yeah so i think that is often like a big fear um and yeah i mean it's when you date like the the reasons why a lot of people don't date let's say bisexual people comes from fear and insecurity right they're like oh he has double the options you know he's more likely to cheat on me and i'm like oh yeah because straight men have never cheated on their wives with other women (laughs) sorry i forgot that like oh it's like oh well you've double the population it's like well there's still three billion women you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. that a straight guy can clearly cheat but i just find it so funny that this narrative of like the way you're framing it is like, oh yeah, straight and gay people—they never cheat. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we can all cheat. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, there are more options. It's like there's still plenty of options. Mm-hmm. Do not worry. Well, yeah, that's um, one of the first things you hear if you're in a relationship or um, you're coming out as bisexual. It's like, well, aren't you worried that like they're going to be looking around like while you're dating? It's like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> no. It, it's like it, it's. <laughs> tough and you know i think almost this stereotype almost creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where i know a lot of bi people are afraid to admit like i'm like i'm bisexual and do need people of all genders in order to be happy 
Like that is why I'm polyamorous. I'm very open about it. But I am actually not satisfied just sleeping with one person of one gender for the rest of my life. That would be very unfulfilling for me. And like I know a lot of people are embarrassed to admit this because it almost like perpetuates the stereotype that like, oh, bi people are greedy or they need people of different genders to be happy or they're going to cheat on me. And my point is actually I'm not cheating on you because I'm explicitly stating this is what my needs are and I'm giving you the choice and the autonomy to be like, is this a relationship you want to engage in? And if you're monogamous, no, you don't. But I feel like because of this, a lot of potentially by people almost like deceiving themselves, like, oh, this is what I want. This is what I want because they don't want to be the stereotype. And me, you know, leaning into, I hate the phrase authentic self, but like (laughs) leaning into my authentic self and being who I am and not being ashamed of it. And like, yeah, in a way I perpetuate some stereotypes, but like it's also, I think there's an importance to differentiate between like positive stereotypes and like or not positive, but negative stereotypes and neutral stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong with being slutty. Like, the, the issue is that, like, assuming all bisexual people are slutty is not accurate. They're ones who are slutty. They're ones who are happily monogamous. So just any assumptions and overgeneralization, overgeneralizing a group, that's what's negative. But, like, there's nothing wrong with being slutty. But there is something wrong with lying and cheating. And so those stereotypes, I really work hard to disprove and be like, no, these are negative and these are not true Um, versus the other ones. I'm like, okay, like there's actually nothing wrong with this and I am this stereotype and that is okay, but please don't assume just because I'm this that every single bi person you meet is also this. Mm -hmm. Or that every other stereotype is also true about me. Yeah, exactly. Just because I fit one doesn't mean I fit the 17 others. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and that gets overwhelming and complicated trying not to be a stereotype or fulfill a stereotype. But if that's authentic to who you are, it's like, I don't know, it feels like you can't win in other people's eyes, no matter what you do. And you do just like, you're not representing the entire bisexual brand. And that's something I had to tell myself as one of the few people writing 10 years ago who really was representing the entire bisexual (laughs) brand. Uh, Like, especially in the articles I was writing, there were very few bisexual men writing articles um, or like open out bisexual men writing about bisexuality. To this day, there are only a handful, a handful, you know what I mean? Like at the time I was so worried about like, depicting the perfect bisexual. It's like the perfect bisexual does not exist. Mm -hmm. Like we are like every other sexual orientation. You know, we we are diverse in how we express our loves and desires and have sex. Mm -hmm. Right. So you explained how your therapist validated, you know, bisexuality for you. What were other steps in overcoming the sexual shame? It was talking to actually my brother. Mm -hmm. And I remember where he... We were like sitting down. I've been hooking up with a guy, hooking up with guys, like different guys for like five years drunk. And I always would tell him my stories and we were close. And he goes, Zach, you know, like, you know, we, we were all kind of effeminate. And like me and my brothers, he's like, you know, I, there were rumors about all of us being gay. He's like, you know, so I tried hooking up with a couple guys for a couple months. I maybe hooked up with two dudes, realized it wasn't for me, realized I was straight. You've. Like I, experimenting is valid. Exploring is valid. But you've been experimenting for like five years. <laughs> and it's been like countless dudes. At some point, you're not experimenting. We're out At of the trial point, phase. 
Yeah, it's like a stable orientation. I remember making the joke being like, oh my God, I'm going to be married to a man. And on our 40th anniversary, I'll be like, thank you for staying with me as I continue to explore my identity. I I still think I'm straight. Like, thank you. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to be that person. But I, I think he helped me in that journey. And I think, you know, part of it is... You know, I think what could be helpful and advice for other people, and it may sound ironic or like the oppositional to what I just said, but I almost wish I explored without this focus on a label. Mm. I was so confused as to like, am I gay? Am I straight? Am I bi? That I couldn't just enjoy the experience or like focus on it. Like, and I think if you're like obsessed with labels, you, you, you can't be present in the moment. So I wish I was like, you know what? I don't know what I am. That's okay. I'm living with this ambiguity. I'm going to explore, see what I like. And then if a label fits, be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think for people who are exploring or experimenting, one, if you're experimenting for more than two or three months and it's been five years, <laughs> I, I feel Check like in. that's telling. Yeah. <laughs> but two, Remember that if you explore and experiment, decide it's not for you, you're still 100% straight. That doesn't make you any gayer, any more bisexual. You just explored something. So being able to explore and experiment without initially labeling, I think, um, yeah, I I think it'd be a really beneficial thing for people who are exploring their sexuality Mm -hmm. and trying to overcome shame. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as a society, we really like labeling things. As human beings, we really like labeling things. And I've noticed that on social media, we really like labeling things. And then people get really strict on social media with labels and then like want to keep people out of those labels and all of that. And I feel like that's not necessarily happening in real life and like real social situations that people are having, but it is happening significantly. It's it's tough, you know. Like labels can be empowering and incredible. And now, once I found the word bisexual, I loved it. I've embraced it. I've kept with it. I've kept it, even when you know, like pansexuality came out. Even though I'm attracted to all genders, I still kept the word bisexual. I I felt it resonated with me. So like, it's like labels aren't themselves the enemy. And sometimes people are very anti labels. Like you can really feel a part of a community, the way that I do now. However it's for some people labels do not work so it's really figuring out what works for you or labels at this time does not work maybe it will over the next few years and of course gatekeeping labels about who is genuinely bisexual who's genuinely gay or non-binary or whatever it is like i it's a difficult balance to walk because i think like you you want to encourage people who may be exploring to be like this is okay you know, at the same time, there are certain like guys, especially now, who like go to these like queer sex parties who are like, oh, I'm bi. But they're do they almost label themselves as bi because they know like being a straight cis man in the space, like you'll get ridiculed and made fun of. But like bye and like I'll make out with a dude, but that's it. I'm like, no, you're just like not homophobic. And like like mm-hmm. you know, women make out with women all the time. They're not bi. It's like a, a fine thing to do. Um and they're trying to use it because they honestly like want to be marginalized. I'm like, yeah, because being marginalized is so much fun. Yeah, ask anyone. But like um, – and so in those ways, you're like, well, I, I kind of do want to gatekeep you because like you're not actually bisexual. But also let's say this guy's exploring his bisexuality and he may actually be. So it's like – it is like a tougher line to walk, although I usually err on the side of – let's assume everyone's exploring and experimenting and let them in. 
and kind of have a good intention, but other people are not like, no, we're ruining our space because we're letting in too many people. So it is a fine balance to walk. I err on letting people in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good side to err on. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on cases of like, I feel like it's happening a lot in social media as well, of people labeling others as queer and almost like forcing them to come out? Yeah, that's messed up. Like everyone should be able to come out in their own time. Um, And like realizing – yeah, there's been a few cases recently of being like, oh, this straight character played a gay character. Um, He's not gay. He shouldn't be doing it. Or why is this person queer baiting? And then they later come out as gay or queer. They weren't ready to do so. And I think people are right now misusing queer baiting. Like queer baiting is like clearly when a straight – like when someone is profiting off of gay culture. Um, and you know what I mean? And I also don't think it's necessarily like the end-all, be-all worst thing in the world. Like if you don't like that a straight man is playing this character or like the straight man is on OnlyFans with like jerking off but you know he's straight, like just don't watch it. Don't spend your money there. Like, like mm-hmm. you have a choice to do so. But like – Often it's like queer baiting and we hear it's like, well, it's people who are exploring their sexuality who might come out as gay later and like I think we should let them do that. And instead of labeling them so quickly or saying they can't do this because they're straight, they just might not be ready to come out yet. But I feel like there's been a pushback and being like, okay, what we've been labeling as queer baiting actually is not. Um, But yeah, like – like I understand the desire for visibility and to have more role models in the space, but like we can't be outing people. We can't be forcing people to come out sooner than they should be. And there's mm-hmm. been a few examples. I think it was that guy from Heartstopper. Is that is that the one that happened recently? He was like 19. I think I'm getting a little confused. There was one from Stranger Things. One from Stranger Things. We're just like, let like it's like, God, also these guys are like 19, 20 or in yeah. their 20. Like, let them come out like jesus like i know they're in the like i feel people are very entitled to celebrities and feel like they can Mm -hmm. say or do anything to them but i'm like these people are still people you know what i mean like um but yeah Yeah. i I don't think it's good Mm -hmm. (laughs) is my hot take right is it with um oh the noah schnapp yeah there we go yes he did also hold on i'm gonna look this up there was a guy from like heart stoppers comes out. Like because him um, and Will were kind of like you could see those look. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's really. He's like just now not a child. Yeah. Oh, heart, fuck. Heart stopper star Kit Connor. Oh my god, why are these ads in the way? Heart stopper <laughs> star Kit Connor comes out as bi, says he was forced. Oh. Um. Kit Connor, who stars the Netflix hit show Heartstopper, came out as bisexual Monday. In a tweet, he said that he was forced to reveal his sexuality. Back for a minute, I'm bi. Congrats for forcing an 18-year-old to out himself. I think some of you missed the point of the show. Bye, the British actor wrote. We're just like, come on. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's- yeah, people – it's also so, uh, remembering that social media is not reality has been mm-hmm. very helpful for my mental health. And that like if people come for me on social media for whatever, I can just not look at it and my life carries on the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> but Absolutely. God, like it's messed up. Totally. As much as it can help create community and like, you know, obviously how we share a lot of information about sex education is through social media. Um, but it can also 
Yeah, it'd be pretty fucked up. I'm also thinking of like Taylor Swift. I, I feel like because say. of the Eras tour, I see everybody talking about how she's bi, um, but she's never confirmed anything. And, and I think there's this desire, and I understand the desire to be like, oh, I want her to be bi so badly. It would be mm-hmm. such a huge win for visibility. I've had a crush on her. Like, like it's great. It's like, okay, I know you want this to be true. But you can't manifest someone else's sexuality. I know we're in the era of manifestation, but you can't manifest someone else being bi. I'm sorry about that. And like all the – that she dated, I forget the model's name, but like making up, you know, whole scenarios around that and then calling out her like lover album and performances because they saw that that, that, they said that that was queer baiting. And it's like if you're not going to come out as bi, you can't like – wear that in your music video and it's just like so what that's not what queer baiting means that right. that's literally not what it means i'm mm-hmm. sorry like that that's not it yeah it's just all over the place but i'm glad that we touched on this because i think it's really important yeah. to this conversation is there anything else with boy slut that you want to cover um in this episode no, we covered so much. Again, it is out on May 9th. Um, also have – like I'm doing a book tour. So if you follow me on social media, uh, Zachary Zane underscore Twitter and Instagram. Also my website, ZacharyZane.com, though I need to update my tour schedule. But I'll be in New York, San Francisco, Boston, LA, Chicago, Nashville, hopefully a city by you uh, <laughs> if you guys want to see me read and sign books. already going oh i already did yeah oh (laughs) okay well i am also already going Mm -hmm. i'm going strong Mm -hmm. hot and heavy towards the finish line yeah you are (laughs) what did oh i don't even remember it so it's not even worth a tale but someone said something at work today that could have been taken so sexually and i tried not to go there because i'm at work and i'm trying to do less of that (laughs) trying to do less of office slut (laughs) Yeah, office slut. More of boy slut with Zachary uh-huh. Zane. So thank you so much, uh, Zachary Zane. I love saying your full name for being on the podcast. It was so fun to finally chat with you. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out. And this is a great episode to share with someone. This is really important information. It was a really fun conversation. Um, really easy to understand. And boy slut. I don't know why I said really easy to understand. I just feel like it was, <laughs> I feel like we talked about like complicated we things. Slowly. <laughs> we talked slowly. So if you're dumb. No, I just feel like we talked about really like big topics, but it was really digestible and accessible. That's what I meant. Oh uh, my God. I'm going to say that to everyone now. After I finish a sentence, was that easy to understand? <laughs> okay. <Back in> a. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's a sh- very shareable bit. Um, you can also head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. You can leave us a written review. Um, what emoji should they leave if this is the episode that they write a written review for? Ooh, there. I think there's a potion emojis for toxic. Ooh, like I like that. Toxic chemical, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that. A little potion. Okay, so go ahead and leave that, and we'll see you next week. Yes, we sure will. Goodbye. Bye. Oh. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs>